0: ask you to keep your Bibles open as we study through these verses together this morning. So we've just celebrated um, Valentine's Day. Maybe you had some chocolate or flowers or... uh, a dinner date. Surely you had the obligatory Facebook post, right? But um, we're going to look to the Bible uh, this morning to learn about love and learn how to truly love one another. So let's pause for a moment once again and ask that the Lord might help us today. Father, as we bow before your presence and open your precious word today, we look at a uh, a topic today, the topic of love. We all desire to be loved. We all desire to love. We have all been influenced by the understandings and practices and Ideas of love around us and the own fleshly selfishness of our own selves. But you have defined love for us, you have described love for us, you have exampled love for us in your precious eternal truth. We know that, Father, your word says that the truth will set us free, that Christ prays that you will sanctify us in the truth and that your word is truth. And so even when it comes to this issue of love, we find what love is and how it expresses itself, what true love is and how true love expresses itself in your precious word. You have loved us enough to teach us about love. And so help us today, Lord, as we look to this passage of Scripture and do a great work in our hearts and in our lives that... That we would be a reversal of this world. We would live in a counterculture way when it comes to love. We would demonstrate a love that is out of this world, a godly love, a God centered love towards one another, towards all people, and especially towards those that you have given us to one another in holy, sacred, marriage. Help us, Father, to learn to love this way. So once again we ask, God, that you would teach us, you would transform us, you would change us from glory to glory and more and more like Christ, and that this sermon, this passage, this time together would be foundational for a renewal and a refreshing in our own hearts, in our homes, in our marriages, and in our lifetimes. And we ask it all to be done for the glory of Christ and in His name. Amen. So we have celebrated love this week. And we know that the world has its own uh, philosophy of love, its own meaning of love, its own practice of love. Since we as believers live in this world, the Bible speaks of us being in the world but not of the world. But sometimes that line, that distinction gets a little Blurred with us sometimes a lot of the world rubs off on us a, a lot of times a lot of our own hearts incline us to the world rather than to Christ and his glory it becomes easy for us at times to being constantly influenced by the world around us to to easily adopt the world's definitions to easily adopt the world's practices to easily adopt the world's meanings without, without stopping long enough to really biblically evaluate and think through what God has taught us and what God has given us and to see that the definitions and the practice of whatever issue it might be, whatever topic it might be, are entirely at odds with God's definitions and God's practice of true love. So, one of these ways, one of these paths, one is true and genuine, and the other is counterfeit. W- w- with every sin, with every topic, Satan always has a counterfeit. The world always has a counterfeit, the flesh always has a counterfeit. So 1 Corinthians 13 will help us to pursue true love towards one another. But especially what we want to concentrate on, maybe in the, uh, particularly in the applications and the way that the Spirit will make the applications in our hearts today, is the love that we share between husband and wife. 1 Corinthians 13 is the great love chapter of the Bible, it's where God teaches us about love, true, biblical, godly love. So if we love our spouses this way, we will have happy, holy, healthy marriages. The first thing that I want us to see this morning is that love is the opposite of selfish Love is the opposite of selfish. Now, we would all agree with that, but it's very difficult at times to understand just how selfish we can become in our relationships with one another, just how selfish we are in fact, I believe one of the reasons why God gives us families, gives, gives us, uh, well, at least me. I won't speak for you, I'll speak for me. I think one of the reasons God gave me a wife and three kids is to teach me how selfish I am, how self-absorbed and self-centered I am. Love is the opposite of selfish. We see that in verses 4 and 5. It's just description after description that is the opposite of selfish. Love is patient. Love is patient. You see, we become very impatient with one another when we are given to self. Selfishness makes us very impatient. But when we are given to one another, we grow and we learn this virtue of patience. And our fast-paced, busy, self-centered World, I don't know of of maybe any greater expression in our day than uh, uh, of true love than than of this expression that love is patient. One thing we quickly um one thing that we quickly do is being impatient with one another is to really make a large issue of any any sin or any failure or any fault or any problem with our spouse or with others. So I'm, I'm going to probably be making all these applications with spouse, but you can thank others as well in a broader application sense. But as sinners, we, we tend to deal with sin this way. We tend to minimize our sin. If we sin and we know we've sinned, we tend to minimize it, meaning we come up with a good justification, rationalization, reason for it. We tend to minimize our sin. We tend to maximize the sin of others. The sins that others do or the sins that others do against us, we tend to make those huge deals and we tend to make our sins very, you know, just those are the small sins insignificant justified in this situation we've always got a good reason for the sins that we commit but not the ones that others commit especially our spouses at times now when we allow that tendency minimizing our sin maximizing your sin when we allow that tendency to come into our marriage it creates a miserable marriage and it's not only involves it not only then involves sins and and failures and problems and issues with one another we we can get to the point that that every little thing our spouse does gets on our nerves their personalities their habits not not things that are necessarily wrong just just how they live, how they do, how they react to things, their routines, their their tendencies. We, we can grow impatient with everything about them. And it comes out in expressions like this, doesn't it? You always say that. Why do you always do that? Have you ever seen that or said that? Now, don't y'all look at me this entire sermon... <laughs> Like I'm the only sinner that's ever been married. (laughs) By the way, all the illustrations that are bad, they're about me. All of them that are good, they're uh, they're about summer. (laughs) Her and Talitha are are visiting Charleston Southern Southern this weekend. This is the perfect time for me to preach this sermon. (laughs) For example, about the little things... Do you squeeze the toothpaste from the middle or do you press it from the bottom and roll it up as you go to make sure that you get every drop of toothpaste out of that tube? That's the way it should be done, by the way. (laughs) Press it from the bottom, roll it up, make sure. I'll tell you how I solved that one in our house. I bought her her own tube of toothpaste. Can't qu- I can't keep straightening out that crinkled tube of toothpaste. <laughs> Sometimes the little things, right? We're so impatient. Why is that? Because we're so selfish. We're, we're so self-centered. And when, when we can't control every little move and every little way and every little quirk, when, when they won't do exactly what we want, when we want them to do, we, we, we're very impatient and, and frustrated. Listen to Proverbs 19:11. Just write this reference down or, or notate it in your notes on your phone, however you're keeping up with the sermon. By the way, if you got your phones out, I, I hope you're keeping notes and not sending text messages or posting on Facebook. Proverbs 1911 says this. Good sense, listen to this. Good sense makes one slow to anger. <laughs> are, are, are you quick to anger? The, the opposite, of that means you don't have good sense. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is it is his glory to overlook. An offense. How powerful would that be in our marriages? In our friendships? In our church relations? Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. And and that would be true offenses when people truly offend you by what they just said to you or what they've done and word got back around to you. True offenses are the things we make offenses. We make things offenses that are not offenses. Like why do you, why do you keep squeezing that toothpaste to? There's not a, it's not an offense. We make it one. But it is his glory to overlook offense. Love is patient. Love is patient. Love overlooks offenses because because we're all sinners and none of us are perfect. So love is patient. Marriage is two imperfect sinners living together as one. The goal of marriage in the life of two believers under God is to is to learn how to truly love, to grow in love towards God and towards one another. So we must learn and pray and practice patience. Love is patient. Secondly, love is kind. You see, patience is love in the passive tense, really, because it lets things go. It just lets things go without letting them... Come in between us without making a a mountain out of a molehill. It's patient, it's passive. But kindness is love in the active sense. It intentionally goes out of its way to to say little things and, and do little things here and there to express love and to help and to encourage. Even when it's not appreciated. Even when it's not acknowledged. Even even when it's not returned. I'm talking about between spouses, but this can be between friends, between co-workers, certainly between us and the church. By the way, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13 to the church way people treat each other in the church it comes right after first Corinthians 12 which is the great chapter on the spiritual gifts and his point in that chapter is just because you've got a a big visible gift doesn't make you any more important than someone that has a less visible gift the hands not more important than the eye and that's exactly why first Corinthians 13 begins the way it does if I speak with the tongues of angels but have not love I'm nothing so he he's teaching this chapter is about how we relate to one another in the body of Christ. We 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 can apply it to any relationship. But but love is kind. It, it does all kinds of little things. We, acts of kindness. Even when it's not acknowledged or appreciated or returned. Love is just kind. Love doesn't say, I'll do this for you if you'll do this for me love just does it because that's what love is it's kind you you see how different this is than the world than the world's understanding and practice and definition of love love just acts this way true biblical love just does this just imagine how happy our homes would be if we lived to outdo one another in kindness. In the things we say, in the, in the little expressions. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. Now that's two sides of one issue, isn't it? It does not envy. It means, that means somebody make, made it big in something. Somebody succeeded in something. Somebody was congratulated or awarded or, or has something. Somebody has excelled and somebody hasn't. Love does not envy or boast. So when one spouse achieves, love does not envy. Love is not jealous when our spouse excels or has success or brings in more income, or has more friends, or whatever the case may be. Love does not envy the good, or the blessing, or the success in our spouse. It celebrates and applauds it. It rejoices in it. It loves it. Love does not envy. On the other hand, love does not boast. The spouse that enjoys these good things, the spouse that has enjoyed certain blessings, the the spouse that has achieved and and reached certain goals does not boast or or hold it over or compare it. Well, if you did such and such like I do such and such, then you wouldn't be in the situation that you're in now. Now. Love does not boast. It's not envy. Here's the fourth thing. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love is not arrogant or rude. Have you ever been around someone who can't be happy unless they're putting other people down to make themselves feel better? Usually that comes... Across in the form of a joke or some kind of sarcasm that's supposed to be funny, now, if that person happens to be your spouse or you happen to be that spouse, your marriage is misery and if there's a if, if that's happening in the church, church can get miserable. You see love doesn't look down or put down love lifts up love looks up love is satisfied to be the servant not the one served this is true biblical godly love To be loved this way and to love this way is to enjoy the bounty and blessing and overflow of joy and satisfaction and peace in our lives. Paul goes on to say, love does not insist on its own way. Love does not claim to be right 100% of the time. Love does not claim to be right one hundred percent of the time. It doesn't insist on its own way. It doesn't insist to be served rather than to serve. Sometimes that. Sometimes that. In, in order to love this way, in order to love God's way, takes a lot of prayer. And a lot of grace, because we never, we, we never really stop being selfish in this life. We, we never really stop being a sinner in this life, so we never really stop being selfish and self-centered. So it takes a lot of prayer and a lot of grace. And I'll tell you, a good place to practice this is on your way home from work. What, what, however you may work and whatever you may do at work... Or whatever you've done after a a long day, usually on your way home is, man, all you want to do is get home and unwind and relax and just kind of be left alone, right? And enjoy a peaceful, restful evening. But maybe there's a wife there that needs conversation. Maybe there are children there that need conversation. The presence of a father, and, and the other way around. How do we do that? When we're mentally exhausted, physically exhausted, sometimes spiritually exhausted, how do we come home and not neglect our family? Prayer. Grace. It is sufficient. Grace is sufficient. We continue here and and Paul says love is not irritable or resentful. Love is not irritable or resentful. We look through this list and we think, boy, this boy, I um these are really kinda difficult, aren't they, to, to address. Yes, we we would agree love is not irritable or resentful. What's hard is when we take a step back and honestly evaluate and we see some of of these things in our own hearts, in our own homes. Either we've been the perpetrator of these or the receiver of these. Love is not irritable or resentful. Here's three things to guard us from this self-centered trap of love. If we keep a record of every time our spouse has wronged us, then nothing our spouse will ever do or can ever do will ever make us happy. We'll never be able to rejoice in the good if we continue to hold on to the bad will always be irritable and will always be resentful. Listen to Psalm 103 verse 12. It says that when when God forgives us, he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. That means God wipes our record clean when when we confess and repent and ask forgiveness to God, he looks at us and sees the righteousness of Christ rather than all of our filthiness. God looks at us and sees Christ rather than all of our filthiness when we confess and repent. In other words, he doesn't hold all of our history against us. That's how he loves us. So the first essential in marriage is the willingness to to actually forgive and, and stop holding the past against one another. It's absolutely essential for a healthy marriage. When we say things to one another like, will you always fill in the blank? Well, that's bringing up assuming an entire history. We, we've got to be able, through the grace of God, to start over and start clean, forgiven. It's gone, east as far as from the west. Start over, start clean. I can't, I can't tell you how many times in summer in our, in our marriage that we haven't said to one another, okay, tomorrow morning, we'll start over. <laughs> we'll just start over. We'll start clean. We, we really messed it up today. By we, I mean me, right? <laughs> I really goofed it today. Let's start over. Asking forgiveness, being forgi- forgiving, That's the first thing. Second thing is, we've got to stop making assumptions. Stop assuming that all of our assumptions are correct. This is really self-centered, isn't it? This is really prideful. This is really arrogant. Because we make assumptions about each other all of the time. In the church, in the world, in our marriages... I am convinced that false assumptions are the root of 90% of broken relationships. We assume we know the motive and the intent behind actions and words. We assume that we can read the heart. We assume that we know why people do what they did and why they said what they said. We make assumption and then we draw a conclusion. And that conclusion is generally, as not a nice person. I don't want to have anything to do with them. Broken relationship. You could have, been, you could have encountered someone who was walking around with a broken heart, devastated life, overwhelmed circumstances... A whole lifetime of feeling like they never measure up. You don't have any idea what's in my mind, and I don't have any idea what's in yours. God reads the heart, we don't, but we assume that we can. We've got to stop making assumptions towards one another because when we assume, we become irritable and resentful. We become irritable because we no longer believe that person is capable of any good. So they irritate us. We're irritable. We become resentful because any good that person enjoys, we resent because we feel like they don't deserve that because they're such a horrible person. So we take it as an insult. So we've got to be forgiving. We've we got to stop assuming. Here's the third thing. Give grace. Give grace. Be gracious. Give room. Give, give room for faults and mistakes and missteps. Give grace. Give the benefit of the doubt. Towards one another. So love... Is the opposite of selfish. The second point is this love is opposed to sin. And that's verse 6, isn't it? It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. The truth. I'm going to address at this point a couple of different issues that are not easy to address that you're not hearing anywhere else that are biblical but are difficult to talk about. And I want you to hear me and hear me well all who are watching, all who are listening. My point in this point is not to beat anybody with the Bible. I am begging you to embrace the Bible. That's my point. I want you to, I want you to know the love of Christ because there's no greater love. So, Paul says here, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love is opposed to sin because it's clinging to the truth. That's what makes it true love, biblical love, godly love. And this is where God's definition of love is completely at odds with the world's definition of love and the world's practice of love. And first, I'm, gonna, I'm, go, I'm going to address the world's definition and practice of love as it regards those who experience same-sex attraction. And then I'm going to address how the world defines and practices love between people of opposite gender so i i'm, I'm, I'm going to cover both all grounds here and because there's a there's a lot of mislove in the heterosexual community and in the church, just like there is in the homosexual community so let 's address them all let 's confess them, repent of them, and pursue Christ and his love and his glory together and biblical godly love together. There's a popular hashtag and saying found everywhere today, and it's this. Love is, can you guess? Love. Love is love. Now, notice you don't find that description in 1 Corinthians 13. 13 where Paul had ample room, right? Because he just keeps on saying love is, love is, love is. But he doesn't use that description. In fact, 1 John says God is love. Those definitions are not anything alike. Those, Those two philosophies are completely different. Love is love and God is love. So one is counterfeit and one is true. Love is love is is not a biblical description of love. It's a worldly description of love. Now, I understand that statement to mean that if if some kind of feeling or attraction or expression or commitment is present, if there's something there that we define or think of as love, then the very presence of that feeling or attraction or commitment or expression, the very presence of it is justification and validation, and that's enough so all kinds of all kinds all kinds of love and all expressions of love are equal and justified. Love is love. That's not true. That's not true. So so stop and think. If you claim to be a believer and to know the love of God, stop and think about this. If that, if that were true, love is love, there would be no restraint or restriction on any relationship at all. Every intimate or sexual relation would be justified, no matter what age, no matter what number, no matter what gender, no matter if there's a marriage involved, no matter, because love is love. If it were true, it's not. How do you know that? The Bible speaks of sexual immorality 32 times. And that's just that one phrase. Entering into an emotional or intimate relation out of the confines of marriage between a man and a woman is not love, it's sin. It's counterfeit for love. That doesn't say that there's no feeling there. That doesn't deny there's no expression there. There's no commitment there. There's no attraction there. It's just saying it's counterfeit. It's not real, true, biblical love. Love does not define love, God does. Sin's counterfeit will ruin you eventually and ultimately eternally. Because that's what sin does. Sin seeks to ruin. The thief comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But God's love will save you and make you whole. That's what God does. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. John ten ten. Finding God's love is finding life. So now let's apply this, that love, love doesn't rejoice with wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. Now let's apply this to our heterosexual sins. Because we've got a long list of those. In fact, there's far more of those in the Bible than there, than there are places in the Bible that speak of the sin of homosexuality. So I'm primarily going to address the men here. Students and older. Listen to me as your pastor. God has called you as men And you start becoming a man and being a man at 13. God has called you to be the spiritual leader in your home and in this church. That's who you are as a man of God, a spiritual leader. So guys, if the way you say you love or you express your love to your girlfriend or to your fiance or to your spouse causes her to sin against God, that's not love. Because it's not patience. And it's not kind. It's very selfish. And it is sin. So, guys, don't take your dates off somewhere to be all alone to and face that temptation of being all alone and see how far you can go on your date. You are ruining her future marriage when you do that. And you're ruining your future marriage. Treat her as one created by God in His image. Honor her. Don't dishonor her. Men, don't take your fiancé to hotels overnight. Don't have her move in with you before you're married to her. She belongs to God. Protect her purity. Don't violate it. Husbands, Don't fill your mind with unholy images and fantasies and then burden and press those expectations upon your wife and defile the sacredness of the marriage bed. She is God's daughter. Ephesians 5.25 says, We are to love our wives as Christ loves the church. Christ loves us in such a way that we become more like Him, not less like Him. That's how we are to love girlfriend, fiance, wife. The, the point is this, men be men of God in our relationships. Be a soldier for Christ. Protect the things that God holds sacred. Because, why? Because love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Last thing. Third point, love refuses to give up. Love refuses to give up. So Paul goes into these four statements and then kind of it culminates, kind of reaches its zenith in that fifth and final statement. But he says, love bears all things. What he means by that is when when he's saying all things, he doesn't mean, you know, any and everything. Like when he says believes all things, the next thing is believes all things so he's not saying that true love believes lies. You know he's not saying that, and he's just said that that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing; it rejoices with the truth. So when he says love believe, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, you know what he's talking about: all the things of true love and of. What happens when we're married together and when we relate to one another and in relationships. So what does bears all things mean? It means that we put up with each other. We 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 bear all things. We we put up with each other's faults and and failures. I, I love what one of our friends said. She she and her husband, they've been friends of our families of Uh, she and my mother grew up as friends and and their families have been friends and she's been she and her husband's been married over 50 years and she was telling this story of being in a restaurant and a waitress coming up to their table and 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 talking to them and finding out they had been married for over 50 years and said the waitress was just in shock and just kind of took a step back and and asked her "How, how did you do that what is the secret And she said, I just looked at her and said, well, you got to learn how to put up with a lot of junk. (laughs) I was was anticipating a great word of wisdom, you know. (laughs) But that is a great word of wisdom, right? Love bears all things. Love believes all things. So what is that? Focusing on the good rather than the wrong, the strengths rather than the weaknesses. We... We all tend to wear a lens when it comes to relationship with one another, especially the more meaningful and intimate those relationships become. We can tend to wear one or another set of lenses. There's one lens which we put on, and all we see are the wrongs. But there's another lens we can choose to put on, pray to put on, determine to put on each and every day, and that's the lens that sees All of the good things that are done. believes all things hopes all things what what does that mean that applying to marriage that means it keeps working for righteousness it keeps working on that marriage it keeps hoping it keeps striving it, it keeps working to improve and, and nurture and better that marriage it hopes all things in spite of all the obstacles and challenges and missteps and one step forward and two steps back it just hopes it believes it it bears Forth, it endures all things so there comes times in in relationships in loving relationships especially in the home when it just comes time to endure right to stand and endure and go through this together in the strength of the lord that's why those vows say things like better or worse rich or poor sickness or health till death do us part and then it it ends here doesn't it love never ends love refuses to give up it just never stops it perseveres it keeps going it never ends You see, the world teaches you can fall out of love. The world teaches you can you can give it your best shot. The world teaches that you can grow to love someone else. The Bible teaches love never fails. Never ends. It never quits. It never stops never throws in the towel it never walks away it doesn't end it doesn't end we should all right here say thank thank God that godly love never ends right because what God is teaching us here by teaching us how to love one another is he's teaching us how he loves us and that right there is the key to everything, church. Everything. I'll conclude by, by, by saying this. How in the world can we, can we love our spouse for a whole lifetime in this way? Because that's exactly how God loves us for eternity. In this way. So how do we do this? By the grace and the power of the gospel. By going back to the gospel and being renewed and being reminded of how God loves us in Christ. But God demonstrated his love toward us in Christ even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we keep going back to that gospel love and and draw strength from that, knowing that God's love flows to me this way in Christ, enabling me and empowering me to love that way towards all. And especially and in particular that relationship that in itself is a picture of the gospel. The husband and wife portray the gospel, Christ and the church. So we go back to gospel love. We go back to the power and the message of the gospel to fill us and sustain us and renew us and enable us and motivate us to pursue this kind of love at home. This is the only way to have a healthy, holy, happy marriage. And if we'll we'll renew this kind of love at home... And then we'll bring those kinds of loving homes into our church and love this kind of way in the church. Happy, healthy, holy homes build happy, healthy, holy churches. May God help us to love like this. Why? Well, Scripture says it, doesn't it? We love because He first loved us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious truth today. There's no doubt they, we we've we've walked through this text together, and, and there's no doubt we can we can see, Father, ways in which you have allowed us to love in some really great, wonderful ways. And, and to build some habits and, and, and disciplines and thought processes and heart conditions in our lives that we've really done some things well. But we all have to be honest before you and say there's, there's been a good number of things though as we look at true love together that we understand there's some work to be done, there's some confession to be made, there's some realignment, there's some, there's some establishing some priorities and, and, and making room for other things in our lives and in our relationships. And, and there's, there's maybe been a real challenge to us, Father, of, of how we've adopted the world's practice and the world's meaning rather than God's meaning and practice of love if that's what we truly want to know if that's what we truly want to have then this is where we find it in Christ in the gospel in the scripture so father would you renew our hearts make new our hearts that we might love as you have loved us in Christ do a great work today, Lord. Make us more like Jesus. Help us to see Jesus and love Him. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens. You have